versus one to nine, right? Okay, so yeah, Genesis chapter 12, verses one to nine. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took, his, took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions uh, that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the, the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Oh, so thanks so much for reading the passage for us. Uh, let me tell you about two of my friends. Uh, let's call the first of my friends, Jeremy. Jeremy, he works in finance in the city. And because of one of these lunchtime talks, he, he became a Christian about five to six years ago. And while his behavior has completely changed for the better, well, the relationships that he has are in tatters. You see, his wife is trying to divorce him and his son mocks him for being a Christian. And he was sharing with me every day when he wakes up, he experiences the emotional pain of strained relationships. Now, where can Jeremy find hope? My next friend, let's call her Jasmine. Uh, Jasmine, she grew up in a Christian family and was taught the Bible since young. But in the recent years, uh, she's felt no progress in her battle with sin. Um, daily, she, she prays and she tries, but there seems to be no change. And she mentioned to me, well, it feels like it's time to give up. Where can Jasmine find hope? And whether you are a Christian or not with us today, uh, you might recognize that this world is in a mess. Uh, something is broken. Uh, well, where can that single mom uh, with her child fleeing from Tigray, northern utopia, find hope? Uh, where can the single man living in lockdown with facing the four walls, struggling with loneliness, uh, where can he find hope? And where can that man on his last mile, dressed in a hospital gown, breathing through a ventilator, where can he find hope? Is there something that all of us can find hope in? Is there something that hits and gives an answer to all of us? See, on a, on a corporate level, humanity and our world attempts to offer hope through political systems or ideologies. See, man-made attempts to create a paradise on earth. And how successful have they been? Well, in 1989, we saw the failure of communism as the walls came down. 2020, we saw the failure of democracy as the walls 
went up. And so the question remains, where can we find hope? Well, if you've been with us in the series in Genesis so far, you recognize that the first 11 chapters of Genesis, well, it helps us to understand why the world is in this state. The cause of why the world is in this state, sin. Humanity's rejection of God as the rightful ruler and creator of this world. Humanity's belief in a lie that the serpent said that God is not good. Believing that it's better for us to decide what is right in our own eyes. And so we experience the consequences each day, the curses, pain and suffering, breakdown in relationships, a daily grind of work, hard, stressful and toilsome. And finally, the consequence that none of us can escape is death. And the Tower of Babel is humanity's great attempt to achieve a paradise on earth. Uh, through human might and will. If you remember last week, they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Uh, Yet we've seen that it's impossible. Uh, Chaos, chaos will ensue and God will not let it happen. And so the question that the first 11 chapters of Genesis pose is this, where do we find hope in the fallen world? A world straining under the weight of curses. You might accuse me of stating the obvious, but this question of hope is much more significant than any hope you might have felt of vaccine news over the past week. You see, hope to the end of lockdown and the return to normality, well, that's wonderful. And hope to rid humanity from the weight of the curses. See, that's out of this world. See, hope is the question that we are all asking. Hope is the question that the Israelites were asking in the face of a broken covenant. So Israel, despite being God's chosen people, broke their covenant and they were idolatrous. And as a result, they were facing the curses. Curses of a broken covenant. So where can Israel find hope? Where can we find hope? And the answer is is this. Hope can be found in the promise, the promise made by God. And so this is what God wants us to take away this lunchtime, that only in hope or in the promise, only in the promise can we find hope. Let's look at what God has to say to us today. And we're on point one in handout, if you're following along, the promise to Abram. Look at chapter 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you notice the repeated word in those three verses? The word bless. Five times it comes up in these verses. Bless blessing or blessed come up. And this is in contrast to the word curse. The word curse comes up five times as well in Genesis 1 to 11. And so don't think a blessing primarily in terms of material prosperity, but think of it as the opposite of curses in the context of Genesis. See, it's this promise of blessing that will reverse 
the curse. Uh, notice too that Abram's name would be made great by God. This also is in contrast to the builders last week, uh, the builders of the tower, attempting to make their own name great, uh, build their paradise on earth. But the promised blessing is the only way it can be truly achieved, and not by making your own name great, but by God making it great. This promise of blessing is how the world will be restored. But how will the promise to Abram impact the whole world? Well, it's important to notice there are two agendas or two aspects of this promise. And we'll see both agendas developing through the Abram narrative. I see the first agenda is Abram as the blessed man. I look now to verse two. God speaking to Abraham says, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You see, the first agenda is a promise directly to Abram and his descendants. Abram will be a great nation. Abram himself will be blessed. Abram's name will be made great. But the first agenda was not meant to be in isolation, but rather it was closely tied to the second agenda. See, Abram was not only to be the blessed man, he was to be the mediator of the blessing. I look down to verse 2 again. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, not only was Abraham meant to be, a, meant to be blessed, he was meant to be the mediator of the blessing. And the one through whom all the nations will be blessed. And notice that the blessing, it doesn't automatically go to everyone. It's contingent on one's attitude to Abram. Look at verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. It's contingent on one's attitude to the blessed man. So that's the twofold agenda. Abram, the blessed man, and Abram as the mediator of the blessing to the nations. And this is how the promise of blessing will impact the whole world. But let's be really clear about what the intention of God is right here. See, the aspects of the, the Old Testament that we should view through the lens of progressive revelation. Uh, God is revealing himself and his plans progressively over the course of history. And likewise, over the next couple of weeks, we will explore how this promise continues to work itself out in Abraham's narrative. But there is nothing progressive about Abraham or God's intention here. See, right from the start, the promise was always meant to spread across the face of the earth. Uh, the curses the world was under, uh, the promise of the blessing was meant to do with all of that. Uh, there's nothing progressive about the intention of the promise here. And there's nothing limited to what the, the blessings are dealing with here as well. See, often we are reductionistic about the word blessing. And we reduce it to something along the lines of, well, I feel blessed when I enjoy the work that I do. Or I feel blessed when I'm surrounded by people that I love. And I'm not saying that you, you cannot describe those things as blessed. But I am saying that this is not what the author of Genesis means when he uses the word bless. 
See, bless is the reversal of curses. Bless is the reversal of all that wrecks this world on an individual level and a corporate level. See, blessing is what Jeremy longs for when he experiences relational fractures. Blessing is what Jasmine hopes for in her struggle with sin. The world returning to blessing is what we all want. Blessed is what God did on the seventh day. He blessed it and made it holy. And the promise of blessing to Abram is what will get us back home. So where can we find hope? Well, it's in the promise. The promise to Abram. But at the same time, given that it's a promise to, to Abram, I wonder whether that you know, makes you feel slightly concerned. See, after all, the thing we've been understanding about man in Genesis so far is that the heart of man, well, it's, it's not a pleasant place. See, the wickedness of man is, is very great. Noah, the previous main character, well, he didn't crown himself with glory at the end of his life. And if Abram, um, a pagan man, was meant to be the blessing to the nations, maybe there's a part of us that should feel a little concern. And that is why we need point number two, uh, the promise in spite of Abram. And one thing that the, the author of Genesis tries to go on to show is how unlikely a candidate Abram is. Some of the verses that we didn't read out before go on to make that point. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, go to chapter 11, verse 29. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, the name of Nahor's wife, Micah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Micah and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. You see, for someone who is to be a great nation, being married to someone who is barren, certainly doesn't increase the chances of the promise coming to pass. It's an unlikely man, unlikely couple. But not only do we see his situation being a difficult one, we see his moral character being a hugely questionable one. See, it's important for Abram to obey God in order to be the conduit of blessing. He needs to behave in a way which represents God's blessing to the nations we observe Abram committing the most horrible of sins, horrendous of sins. Look to verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me, because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. Often when I, when maybe when we think of Father Abraham, uh, we think of him as an elderly Middle Eastern man dressed in a robe, staff in one hand, with a nice full beard like the one I've got, uh, upright and, and moral. Uh, so we sanitize his actions here. But we cannot overstate how disastrous his actions are. Now, do you hear what he did to his wife? Uh, I reckon the most dangerous situation I've been in before uh, when, was when I was traveling in South America. Uh, I remember crossing through the border into Bolivia in the ram shackled bus. 
and in the distance seeing a large clouds of dark smoke billowing into the air and a huge fire blocking the road. Apparently a large angry mob were rioting and they were blocking vehicles from passing. And we all had to get down the bus and walk. And imagine at the moment, I, I take my wife, Matilda, I, I look into her eyes and I say, darling, you are so beautiful. And so I'm gonna hand you over to the angry mob so that they will spare me. I mean, it's ridiculous what Abraham is doing here. Uh, imagine your, your, your dad, your, your father, handing your mom over to another man's harem to save his own skin. It's despicable, it's horrible, it's spineless what Abraham is doing here. It's really shocking to read about what Abraham did. But what is even more shocking is if we put it in the context of the promise. Uh, remember, the promise was for Abraham to be a great nation, having numerous offspring. Yet the womb through whom the promised offspring was meant to come, Abraham very willingly offered it up to Pharaoh to save his own life. See, this, you might say, is, is not Abraham's proudest moment. See, a barren wife and in a likely situation for the promise to come to pass, a morally questionable man and an unlikely candidate to be a blessing to the nations. And so does this inspire hope in the promise? Well, in a funny sort of way, I want to suggest that it does. And I think the point here is, is this, that the promise to restore the world will be accomplished in spite of Abram. You see, God, he knew that Sarah was barren before he spoke to Abram. It wasn't as if he needed to find another more fertile couple. He knew. And notice how God continued to protect Abram from Pharaoh despite his, his moral failure. You remember his promise, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And see, that comes to pass despite Abraham not living in line with the promise. Notice at verse 17, God afflicts Pharaoh with great curses and plagues because Pharaoh dishonors Abraham by taking his wife, albeit unknowingly. But you see the point, God's promise will come to pass in spite of Abraham. So where can we find hope? It was in the promise to Abram and in spite of Abram. I personally, I find this really encouraging because the promise rests upon the word of God and not on men. See, the, the same word in Genesis 1 that said, let there be light and there was light. It's the same word that said to Abram, I will bless you. The same word that said, let there be an expanse in the waters, and it was so. It was the same word that said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you. And the same word that said, let dry land appear, and it was so. It's the same word that said to Abram, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, God's creative word, the word that brings order out of chaos, the word of promise, has been spoken and it will come to pass in spite of Abraham. So where can we find hope? It's in the promise. Genesis chapter 12, we are only at the start of Abraham's narrative and I'm really excited to be starting this, uh, this narrative with you and we'll take a look at Abraham's story all the way to chapter 25 to Easter next year. 
And the story we're going to develop how secure God's promises are. And we're also going to see how Abraham develops in his faith and his character to be someone who is the right person to mediate God's blessing. But for that, you need to, come in, need to keep coming back each week. But for, for today, I hope the point is very clear. Uh, the hope that the world can find, it's only in the promise. You see, for the nation of Israel, throughout her history, the promise to Abraham was the one that the prophets kept pointing back to. The golden calf, a broken covenant, a where did Israel find her hope? It was a promise to Abraham. Continued rebellion against God, the threat of exile, a broken covenant. Where did Israel find hope? Well, the promise to Abraham. And the promise really does deal with every situation mentioned at the start. Uh, Jeremy with his relational strife, Jasmine struggling with sin, the single mom and her child fleeing from Tigray, that single man in lockdown struggling with loneliness, the dying man on the ventilator on his last legs. See, the human systems are unable to save us from the curses. It's the curse that weighs on us, and it's only the promise that will lift its yoke. See, the promise of hope is the only hope that we can cling to in this world. It's not simply a nice sounding message. It's the only real offer of hope. And there's no complete solution out there. And the, I was just thinking about it this week. I was preparing for this passage. The disgust I have for human ideologists like secularism or atheism is that it's an armchair discussions of the rich and comfortable. It's important to deal with issues of sin or the curses in this world. And yet it paints a veneer of hope of an answer to life. Uh, you, can, you can imagine the person smoking his pipe, sitting in his deck chair, looking across his patio, looking into his garden in his house in Surrey, and we're saying this classic line. Uh, we, we just have to come to grips with reality. Life is a result of natural selection. Death is a result of natural selection. So you just have to deal with it. Just deal with it. So here is the single mom fleeing uh, for her life, child in one hand, the other hand carrying all her possessions. And you look at her and you say, just deal with it. Uh, here's the person on his last mile, dressed in a hospital gown, breathing through a ventilator. You look in his eyes and you say, just deal with it. Uh, here is Jasmine battling with a sin in her own heart. What do you say to her? Just deal with it. See, that's not hope. That is not an answer. So the promise is the only place where true hope can be found. Um, it's the only thing that will restore this world. So cling on to it. One last thought to leave us as we head back to work. I was chatting with one of you on this call about how we, when we both think about evangelism, it can sometimes be, be a real drag. It puts us into really uncomfortable situations. It's much easier to speak about Christ to Christians. But as I was preparing this passage this week, I was reminded that this really is the only genuine source of hope that's on offer to people. The promise of returning the world to blessing hope of a restored world, the end to the curses, the dealing with sin. 
Uh, it's the only place where Jeremy, Jasmine, you and me can find hope. So I hope this passage is a bit of encouragement as you, um, as has been to me to share this home this Christmas. Um, question for today, where do we find hope? And I think the answer our author gives us is this, is in the promise. And as he says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Allow me to pray for us. Father, we praise you for the promise. We praise you for the promise of a restored world. And we praise you for Jesus, the one who brings this promise to pass. We pray that this Christmas, we might do well to share this hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.